Hi, everyone, and welcome to the GoTech Please Don't Die podcast, a show devoted to tech going and hopefully not dying. I'm Nathan. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And on this week, we say thank God for Mississippi as tech beats Southern Mississippi twice in the course of one week in basketball. Yeah. At home and away, it was at uh, home and away in very similar scores. The first one, eighty to forty-nine. The second one, seventy-eight to fifty. That's that's a pretty significant win. I mean, well, let I mean, like sure score-wise. We, yeah, let's yeah. contextualize of, that for a second. Yeah. Score-wise, it's a big <laughs> win score-wise, but in terms of the season, probably not going to be a game of note. And a team that you always like to beat, but then you remember Ken Palm ranked Southern Miss at the two hundred seventieth in the country. <laughs> oh, right now. very low. So. That's not the greatest. Who knew birds couldn't play basketball? I feel like they'd be better at it, but maybe the indoors throws them off. Anyway, so game one, Tech won 80 to 49. That seems like a pretty big difference in score there, but the game started off pretty close. Both teams struggled and they played pretty sloppily. After the first 10 minutes, the score was 9 to 8 in favor of Tech. That's awful. Yeah. It wasn't that great. And Tech was fouling a lot. It just felt like a game that we were coming back from Christmas <laughs> and New Year's. Or this was before New Year's, but coming off of, of all the sluggishness that comes around, like having a break off of basketball to go see family and stuff. And both teams were experiencing it. But yeah, it just was not a very fun time for either team at the beginning. It was not. Yeah. One of the nice parts about that first half, though, is freshman Kobe Williams drew two of the three charges Southern Miss had in the first half. So you could say that Southern Miss not playing well, but also it takes someone being in the right place at the right time to be able to draw those charges. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, he was he was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I think that that's uh, someone to keep an eye on for the rest of the year. Uh, so definitely have him circled in for the next game. Yeah. And then Tech turned it on after halftime. Oh, yeah. And just never looked back and no, scored really... 25 points in the first 10 minutes of the second half and 24 in the second and Southern Miss scored 14 in the first half of the second half, whatever, third quarter. It's, it's easier if you separate this by quarters, but college basketball doesn't play that way for some Darn reason. Darn you. Yeah. yeah. And then one thing I noticed was that Bracey had some plays that really reminded me of what he looked like his freshman year. It was just, how did he do that? He has the ball. Okay, now he's under the hoop, and the, we've scored two points. How did that happen? And it's been a while since we've seen that, mostly because people have figured out how to, to at least slow down Laquan Bracey. Yeah. Uh... I mean, again, it's really, really early in the season. We're just getting started in Kusa. So these types of wins and these types of performances, you always want to go with a grain of salt. Uh, but it definitely was, uh, I mean, I don't want to say an impressive victory, but it was a, a, not even a well-executed victory. We just went out there, and I think that everyone here thought we would win. But it was uh, definitely a well-handled game. Uh, I just hope that it is more indicative of the direction we're going in and not indicative of necessarily the opponent that played. Yeah. Even if Southern Miss isn't very good, beating a team by, was that 31 points? Yeah. It's still something yeah. to be proud of. Yeah, it is. Uh, some of these numbers are pretty shocking, uh, <laughs> at least from the first game. Uh, it didn't get much better in the second game for uh, USM, but in the first game, you know, Tech went, you know, their field goal percentage was 48.4%. I mean, that's not terrific, but it's definitely not bad when compare it to the uh, to USM's field goal percentage of 34.5%. But and that's more, not helped out man. Not helped out their three-point shooting. Which was just like the Cleveland Browns a couple of years ago, just like, the, <laughs> just like the 08 Lions, a whopping zero for 16. Jeez, that's... Which I'm curious to yuck. know, and I, I didn't bother to look this up. I definitely would like to know if that is some sort of at least school record for 
not necessarily attempts, but just misses. I mean, it's that's colossal. I'm kind of curious if they actually kept keep track, track of that, <laughs> at least on a school record level. It's like, oh yeah, here in the media guide, here's the most you've ever done. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you can't get much worse than zero percent, obviously, but. I mean, good lord, zero for sixteen. I just don't. I can't imagine that has to be a record for their program. I mean, surely they haven't gone zero and sixteen or worse in the past. That's something we're gonna have yeah. to look up for the next pod. So there That's- isn't a record anywhere, at least easily Googleable, for the most three pointers missed by one team in a game. But there are the most attempts by two teams combined in the same game, and no makes. It was um, yeah. Canisius, C-A-N-I-S-I-U-S, and St. Bonaventure, who combined to attempt and miss 22 three-pointers without a single hit in January of 1995. That is incredible. Wow. I mean, that's only that's... six off of USM. Then uh, in the Division Two record book, Adrian and Albion, which sounds like two names, not school, whatever, they went zero for 28 in a game oh. in December 1938 oh my oh. goodness there wasn't even a three-point line back then I, I don't know what to tell you the ncaa didn't <laughs> institute a three-point line until 1987 thank you reggie miller well maybe they just never made any shots shouts May, out reggie i don't miller. know yeah shouts out really reggie miller ucla bruins pacers all day baby but uh Fletch. yeah that's that's awful so yeah usm goes zero for 60 from downtown tech i mean tech shot 45 and a half percent from downtown uh, the three ball wasn't really splashing in for, I mean, obviously for USM, it didn't splash at all. It didn't even drip, but. Uh, oh, okay, wait, wait, <laughs> wait a second. So looking up the actual source documentation for uh-huh. that. So there's a record in the the NCAA rulebook has like all the records, the individual, the okay. teams or whatever. Yeah. Under, this is for NCAA division two, under the field goal section, there's a thing that says like, most amount of field goals and that went to a game in 1992 troy versus devry devry had a basketball team devry of georgia i don't know okay but fewest field goals since 1938 (laughs) so they didn't make a single shot (laughs) okay in the entire Uh, game they uh, took 28 uh, attempts and made zero (laughs) what (laughs) what was that like five-year-olds versus grown men i mean that's that's awful well, it wasn't quite that bad for the USM team uh, <laughs> in the first game against Tech, uh, which was last year, technically speaking. Three ball wasn't really falling for Tech all that well either. I mean, they ended up the game 10 for 22, but USM, of course, were keep poking fun at you. We'll let it go. But you did go over 16. Yikes. And then next up was, again, Southern Miss, this time back in Ruston, where Tech hasn't lost to Southern Miss in a very long time. They said the year it's on the broadcast. Fact. And yeah, it's been longer than I think any of us have been alive. That's impressive. Well, not to keep harping on this, but also to keep harping. Uh, when Tech played USM most recently, just several days ago, uh, if you if you combine the three-point attempts for USM over the two games, they went a whopping two for 30 from downtown. Jeez, <sighs> yeah. that's almost Houston Rockets level bad. Well, it's also, you have a bad game, like it happens, but to go that cold for both those games... Just... <laughs> It doesn't yeah, feel it's... like an anomaly anymore, but I mean, it's also only two games. We brought this up in an earlier podcast, but we're kind of concerned about Tech's ability to uh, nail their free throws. And in the most recent game, not a lot of trips to the stripe. Uh, and when they got there, they only shot 50% in the last game, which you can't do that. You know, yeah. they you go eight for 16 at the line 
that's not that's just not championship level or even decent level basketball right there. Like we cannot struggle from the line if we want to compete and win the conference this year. And fun fact, that 50% is above average for the season so far. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. Be on the lookout later this week. I want to have a post out about this very thing. It's, it's bad. Uh, Daquan Bracey is, I think off the top of my head, 37 and a half percent from the free throw line. And he's the worst offender, but he's not the only one. Don't want to spoil too much of the stuff that's in there, but yeah, that's tech is just not, they weren't a great free throw team last year. They're slightly better this year by like a percent. So yeah, this is, this is a situation where Eric Conkle himself can make free throws. He's, he's done charity things where it's, he'll go out there and shoot free throws all day. And it's, does he still have eligibility? I don't know. Well, we'll have to get him on the podcast and find out. Sounds like a plan. First question. Wait, why'd you ask me that? (laughs) Yeah. Game two, Southern Miss, again, not very good from three, but the first 10 minutes were close again. After the first t- those first 10 minutes, Tech led 19 to 17. It wasn't so much a sloppy game this time, just two teams coming out of the gate strong happens. But Tech turned it on quite a bit earlier, this time before the half, and went into halftime leading 41 to 26. Yeah, a lot stronger in the first half. Yeah, and helped by a buzzer beater at the end of the first half, which was very exciting, although... Ended up being pretty meaningless as Tech went on to win by 28 points. <laughs> they just wanted to dab on the haters, man. Yeah. Man. And that, uh, you know, speak to your point about it not being such a sloppy game necessarily for the Bulldogs. It wasn't. I mean, 10 turnovers, that's not great. It's not horrid. What's shocking, and I know this isn't a USM bashing podcast, but sometimes it can be, is that 21 turnovers by USM. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean Tech, did, Tech didn't really out finesse them in any other statistic i mean in too many other statistical categories here i mean they out rebounded them by only one you know one rebound they got over twice as many assists a couple more blocks and steals but i mean for me the glaring thing here is turnovers 21 turnovers for usm and obviously we capital yeah we did what we were supposed to do indeed the guy who ended up taking that shot isaiah crawford this was kind of his breakout game, as far as this year at least. 15 points, second leading on the team that, for this game, and played the second most minutes of anyone, only behind Daquan Bracey. Yeah, not grabbed nine boards, too. Yeah. The only player that outscored him was Caleb Ledeau coming off the bench. Ledoux or whatever. Every broadcaster says it differently, and they're all... Le, Ledeau. Ledeau? Ledeau. Are we really um, doing this? Yes. I guess. Every podcast. Uh, he went 6 for 11 from the field, 4 for 8 for 3. Four or five free throws. You gotta love that. Oh, yeah. Without him, <laughs> Tech is much worse off in that department. Uh, and again, twenty points scored. I mean, not bad. I mean, you said he came off the bench too. I mean, that's that's yeah, that's terrific. He did play twenty-two minutes, so the most of any bench player. But he was also had the hot hand, so you played him. And that's one of the things I really liked about this team so far that I've seen is that every game it feels like it's a different player that carries the team on their back. Like the first few games, Mo Muhammad has played out of his mind and now he's still been good he hasn't been making mistakes but other team other players have been stepping into that spotlight and that's good to see on a team that has had injury concerns in the past where we're not relying on one player like daquan bracy to to do all of our stuff for us we can if he if he goes down and i hope he doesn't because we are a much better team with bracy on the floor but if he goes down it doesn't feel like we're automatically out of it like we were in the past yeah but to the thing that's worrisome is if you only got it is good to see that certain players can step up whenever the team needs 
a player to step up and score, grab, take charge on defense. But ideally, something that we've missed here in the last couple of years, ever since White left for greener pastures in Florida, is just a real good, fundamentally sound team. Uh, you know, that's kind of lacked ever since Conkle took over. I know that we were all kind of spoiled by Mike White's uh, terrific tenure uh, in Ruston, but I'm looking more for a cohesive performance. You know, that's kind of what I was looking for in the second game against USM. And I don't necessarily think that we got that, but it is nice to see that we could work towards that if each and every player can step up each and every week. And instead of it being one player stepping up, the whole team can step. Yeah, I I would push back a little bit against the fundamentals issue. Free throws, yes, 100% agree. But I don't. I'm not seeing the team. If you take that away and say this team isn't doing what they need to in fundamentals, we've had bad games, but we also had some bad games under Mike White too, where we turned the ball over a lot. Never. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but it's very easy to think back to a, a coach that everyone liked more and be like, oh, but this guy never did anything. Yeah, you get that rose tinted shades pulled over you, and yeah, I definitely would agree to that i think we do that a lot terry bradshaw was the best quarterback that ever played in the history of the game hey, back to the point though <laughs> uh, it is great that certain players can step up when needed i mean obviously if the team doesn't have a hot hand out in the court and you got one person out there who's kind of carrying the team that's great what i look for is like i compare it to like how the san antonio spurs and old World, where there wasn't necessarily one superstar uh, but there was like a collective, a collective bunch of really good players that could just execute really well. And I saw glimmers of that against USM. I'm just hoping for, much like we talked about the football team, more progress each and every week towards being a really good title contender. Yeah. And again, it all comes down to the conference tournament. So. Uh, and nothing else yeah. matters. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of conference games, I guess, and games that probably don't end up mattering because as long <laughs> as we get to the tournament. Anyway. First of those games that are coming up this week is at Texas San Antonio in San Antonio. The game will be on ESPNU, unlike the last few games that are on ESPN+. Ken Palm gives Tech an 80% chance to win with a final score prediction of 80-71. to 71. Massey gives Tech a 78% chance to win with a final score prediction of 78-69. to 69. And ESPN is also around that, giving Tech a 79.9% chance to win. I would say that we have a pretty good chance. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. Uh, uh, UTSA's best win on the year has been at Texas State. It was actually a road game for them. Texas State was number 139 in Ken Palm, and the oh. Roadrunners won by six, 77-71. The worst hmm. loss, however, came at home against Prairie View A&M, number that's 237 in Ken Palm. Uh, that's not good. And they lost by seven. That's not good. But I thought more, they were supposed to be good. No, not really, but I will say that they have a very nice overall record. Is it six and nine? It is, Nathan. Okay. It is. <laughs> 0-2 in conference, though. 0-2 yeah. in conference. Got to go 5-0, and no, whatever. 6-6, six and, six and I can't math. Uh, one thing that UTSA is good at, <laughs> unlike a lot of things, is free throws, which isn't fun to hear. The Roadrunners are 76.5% from the stripe as a team. That's the second best in conference, USA. Does... Uh... I know that you have some access to some advanced analytics there. Does it uh, show how many attempts they've had, though? Like an average? Um, see. Yeah, I could pull that up. Well, for instance, in their most recent game, they played FIU, uh, where they only went down by seven points. Uh, and FIU's having a pretty good year so far. They're 11-4. and four. Uh, You know, they're, they're no pushovers. And that game actually went to overtime. 
Uh, yeah. So FIU's no pushover, and you know UTSA came out and competed, but uh, right there for free throws, they went 13 of 17 to stripe. FIU went kind of badly for them. They went 19 of 31 from the stripe. So yeah, man, the turnovers are atrocious. 21 turnovers for UTSA. Yeah. So UTSA as a team so far this year has shot 257 free throws. That is 207th in the country. Huh. So they are below average in the number that they've taken, but that feels like enough of a, like, it's not like they've taken 10, right? That feels like enough sure. of a sample size to say, okay. I would say so. They're making above average on free throws compared to the rest of the conference and the rest of the country. Uh, yeah, it, they are. It's just, I mean, against FIU, instance, uh, they got to the line 17 times, whereas FIU got to the line 31 times. So, Oof. I mean. Yeah, and that kind of goes into what they're bad at in general, UTSA yep. is. And that's defense, which includes fouling the other team sometimes. <laughs> Opponents are shooting 55.2% against them. That's number 324 in the country. Oof, golly. Their block rate, so the number of times they block a shot, is slightly better, but only by <laughs> one place, the 323rd Jeez. in the country. Why would that's... you even say slightly better? That's it's horrible. They, they are one place better than their... <laughs> okay. And their uh, shooting percentage allowed. Yeah, UTSA, like Southern Miss, is not a very good team. The thing that worries me about this game, if anything really does, is that it's a road game. And I'd much rather play the better opponents at home anyway, but you never really know when you go into someone else's arena. Yeah, uh, that could play a factor. I still think that we'd come away with a victory in this game. Yeah, uh, I do too. Especially given their, how bad their defense is and how good our defense has been this year. Yeah, I think exactly. that that's what's going to decide the game i would i would agree teams can get streaky maybe they go on a run and score a bunch of points or get hot from certain places but if you play defense you can stop those runs from happening exactly i mean if we can as bad as they could be tech plays their game plays good plays defense well enough to keep them off the stripe which that is one area where they could beat us if we you know start having lapses on the defense and we start letting get to the get to the line a bunch and they're nailing theirs and they play their their game of defense and we're getting to the, the line and we're not hitting ours then you could be talking about a closer game than you expected yeah josh so what do you hope. think yeah i think you know they've not i mean they're not playing defense at all it looks like and it seems like you know they're you know they're hacking a lot in the paint when it gets close because their block rate's terrible and it, it looks like opponents shoot a lot of free throws against them so i can't see us losing but then again it's basketball things should go anyway yeah interestingly just because I've, we've talked a lot last year about how Tech needed a big to play defense and to to control under the hoop. Uh, UTSA on their roster has a six foot ten freshman and a six foot eleven also freshman. Uh, both have had some playing time this year, so not as much as some of the regulars. And again, they're freshmen, so you'd expect them to sit out for a little bit and not not be the sure. first five on the floor. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you'd think that a team with two of the taller players in the conference or at least compared to what Tech has and has had in the past, would be better at blocking shots. But sometimes it takes more than just height, too. Yeah. Yeah, moving on to a team that is a little bit scarier than UTSA is Texas El Paso, UTEP. And that game will, I was about to say, be played in the Sun Bowl, but that's probably a little too big of a venue. Oh, God. For that. Uh, That game is on ESPN+, Plus, uh, like most of the conference games we play. I think after 
UTSA, only one other game is not on ESPN Plus, and I think it's Western Kentucky. That's on CBS Sports Network. Which I have loved. Having everything on ESPN Plus? Oh my god, yeah. Anyway. UTEP UTEP is not doing much better in the conference. 0-2, just the same as UTSA. But if you look at how they're predicted to play in this game... Ken Palm, Massey, and ESPN all protect wins, but while the game against UTSA were all favored around 79-80%, Ken Palm gives Tech a 60% chance, Massey a 64% chance, and ESPN a 69-9.9% chance. Uh, Also, lower scoring, Ken Palm is 67-64, and Massey is 65-61. Well, they're not playing horrendously poorly. Of note, that game is in El Paso. Yes. And UTEP is undefeated at home and totally defeated on the road. They are 8-0 and in El Paso and 0-5 away. I don't know where the other couple of losses are. And 1-1 one and one on neutral courts. Yeah, there you go. So, But 0-5 away from home. But the more daunting number here, obviously, is the fact that they are undefeated. They are the one of only two, three... Three, four, they're one of only four teams in the conference that are undefeated at home. La Tech is another one. But yeah, anytime you want to talk about a home field advantage, that's a big one. Yeah, and it helps that they've played their tougher teams on the road and their worst teams at home for the most part. Uh, Their best win on the year came at home against New Mexico State, which was number 92. That's pretty big. Yeah. But they also lost to New Mexico State at New Mexico State. They played them twice now, I guess. That's what what tripped me up for a second because I saw them twice here. And then they also played New Mexico in eastern New Mexico and New Mexico Highlands. And I'm sure we're out of schools in New Mexico now. But they played all of them and only lost once. And that was the away game at New Mexico State. Uh, But yeah, they've also played teams like Arkansas Pine Bluff at home and North Carolina A&T that are in the 300s in terms of rankings. Yeah. And haven't really played any tough teams or bad teams away from their home field. But yeah, you, it's still pretty daunting to go in there and play a team that hasn't lost on their own court yet. Well, oh, it sounds like the type of team that even though their record isn't stellar, nine and six isn't terrible, but maybe we're dealing with a team that really isn't necessarily, their record isn't necessarily indicative of how bad or how good they are. Rather, this is a team that, much like La Tech and sometimes, is still trying to find its identity and might end up being a challenger later on. You never know. Yeah, it, it's way too early to start looking at exactly. record. Uh, exactly. Really, once you get midway through conference play, you start using that as a comparison. Right. I, I am much more scared of UTEP this week than I am of UTSA. And so, of course, we're going to beat UTEP and lose to UTSA. But Science. UTEP's worst loss of the year came this past Saturday when they took on FAU at FAU and lost 59 to 56. Yeah, FAU is 176 in Ken Palm. What UTEP is very good at, or at least compared to a lot of other teams, is creating turnovers. On nearly a quarter of the other team's possessions, or really 21.8%, they cause a turnover. Not so bad. That's when you have the ball uh, one out of five times, a little better than that, you turn the ball over when you're playing UTEP. It's a scary proposition. What they're bad at is also turnovers, but on the ah. other side of the ball. Ah. When they have the ball, they turn the ball over 22.2% of the time they have it, or 22.2% of their possessions. So there's just a lot of turnovers for both teams, but so far their offense has turned the ball over more than their defense has been able to gather, but only slightly. Of note there as well is I don't know what they're averaging uh, on three-point percentile, but they went a whopping three of 16 from downtown against FAU. Which, normally, I'd laugh at that, but FAU went 6 of 28 from downtown. Man. In that game. And I don't know if everyone's trying to be the next Steph or Clay, 
But my God, guys, I mean, I think that's just the way the, the game's going. So USA may be the best three-point team we play from here on out. I guess so, because these numbers are shocking. I, don't, I get it, you know, small ball, throw it to the outside, get a perimeter shot, but man, that is Analytics. not the type of... That is it's not also, the, maybe once we get into conference play more, where things are a little more competitive, you may see more less desperate three-point shooting and maybe some better <laughs> shot selection. But, I sure hope. I sure yeah. yeah, really. It'd be nice to be in a good basketball league, even if, well, I don't really care about being in a good league anymore. I just care about winning it. That's all that matters. Speaking of winning, though, UTEP has not done that a lot in the past few games. We mentioned that they are undefeated at home, but their last six games have all been played on the road or at neutral sites, and so they are 1-5 in five in the last six games, so not coming in with a full head of steam and not a lot of momentum behind them. But they are returning home for the first time since November, I believe. So Man, long road stretch. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't like to pull it was the December Bay- 17th. I don't like to pull the Baylessian argument of, they just didn't want it enough or overwhelming pressure or whatever. But it does make a difference when you play at home. And mm-hmm. after so much time on the road, I think that you'll find that they'll play really well. I mean, this could very well be a game we come up short in. But if my prediction holds true, it will be competitive for much of the game. But I still see a similar pattern like against USM. Not necessarily to that extent, but uh, maybe a really competitive game well into maybe even the second half. But Blatek pulling away. Yeah, I think... UTEP's problem so far is that they just don't know a good enough ice cream place on their road places to incentivize uh, the players yeah. to win better and play better. But yeah, I, I think Tech goes ice cream shopping after this game too. Please stop. Anyway, moving over to football now. Tech won their bowl game, so we should be happy, even though it feels kind of mellow right now. But maybe that's my NFL fandom showing. Uh, this is where you're supposed to celebrate, Josh. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to rub it in your face. That game was gross. Rub it in the face. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> beat them all down. Vikings. But speaking of the Saints losing, Tech also lost quite a bit on their coaching staff. Their offensive coordinator, Todd Fitch, left to go to Vanderbilt, one of Tech's 2020 opponents. And their defensive coordinator, Bob Diaco, who we only had seen on the sidelines very briefly during the football game and never really able to see his fiery passion he was known for. <laughs> He's gone to be a boilermaker. And West Lafayette, Indiana Yuck. at Purdue. Yuck. I have a question here. Fitch went on to be, did he go on to be OC at Vandy? I think yes. so, yeah. Okay, but did, I'm sorry, did Diaco go? Is it Diaco? Yeah, Diaco's yeah. DC at Purdue now. Yeah, so they went to, they just moved, same position, different school. Uh, it's not like they went into a lower position, like, you know, defensive backs coach or, no. you know, quarterbacks yeah. coach. So it's a kindred, it's the same position in a different school. I just, I, I'm curious to know what Vanderbilt's AD was doing. He was sitting there going, you know what? That that incredible Louisiana Tech offense, that's what we need that lead. <laughs> we, I mean, <laughs> let's, uh, uh, I could say the same for the defense. Like, that Louisiana Tech Bulldog defense, that's the kind of stuff we need to see here in the Big Ten. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't, I don't get it, guys. I mean, Purdue and Vandy aren't exactly what we consider to be our even mid-level P5 programs, but I don't understand the hires. But and so let me let me get you don't understand yes. them taking someone from tech or you don't understand the tech coach leaving to go to those programs. I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to disparage the quality of our program. Please, Skip, don't kill me. But I am saying that I don't think that the body of work is there to validate the hiring. All right. Yeah, I would, was hoping you would say that so I can push back against it. Uh, yes. So look at offensively. And these are traditional stats, but whatever. Tech on average over the season. Averaged 440.8 yards per game. That's 29th best in the country. That's including P5 schools and everywhere else. 
with losing your starting quarterback for two games, yada, 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 we heard all the excuses, but that's good enough to get eyes. And Vanderbilt's not exactly in a position to hire whoever they wanted to, to be their offensive coordinator. So you take someone who's done well at the G5 level, and that's well at the G5 level, at least last year, uh, and take them. Diaco well, is in the same way that uh, Manny Diaz was a reclamation project on defensive coordinator a few years ago. Diaco is kind of that for us, too. And then on defense, defense, we also played very well, right? This felt like a pretty good defense we had all year long. And Ben, don't break. We made fun of it. But tech strength felt like their defense for a lot of the year. So well, I guess, to me, I these are like good hires by those programs, not knowing much about them. But I think I think it's me looking. You know, you can't see the forest for the trees. You know, you, I I say to myself, we didn't really have stellar quarterback play. We had a fairly good rushing offense. You know, I think I'm making it player specific scrutinization instead of is scrutinization even a word? It is now. Uh, yeah, I think that I'm scrutinizing the players more so than I am the body of work. And given the numbers that you just gave me. I, yeah, you're right. You could definitely make a case that it is an excellent. Uh, but to move on from that, I don't want to feel, segueing into our next topic here, uh, that whoever Skip hires or whomever the AD hires, whoever's in charge of it, I don't want to look back next year and say to myself, wow, we made the mistake of promoting or hiring a bad coordinator to replace those guys. And, uh, you know, we promoted Sloan up in OC, I think you said earlier, Nathan. Yep. Yeah, Joe Sloan and, uh, is now the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He was the inside receivers coach this past year. Darn you, Drew McKevin. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say, though, that I don't think there are any rumblings out there right now for any potential promoting from within or even candidates for the D.C. position yet. Yeah, I haven't heard anything, um, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that that isn't going on. Sure, yeah, and you're probably right. I I always joke about this in our group chat that you know, Skip's got that Rolodex filled with people. He's always able to find somebody to come to rest and work with him. So I don't I don't know nearly enough about potential candidates to say who I would like to have in that role. Charlie Strong. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if Skip wants to pull that old number of you know disgraced P five head coach and reestablish himself as a coordinator thing with like, sure, I'm all for it, but. More realistically, I don't know what the candidates uh, we're looking at for that coordinator position, but I just hope next year we can say to ourselves, that was a really good hire. Yep. Yeah. I I don't think we'll say it's a very good hire after year one. I, I, that doesn't seem like us. It took us as a fan base eight or nine games. Hey, Diaco was doing a good job on defense. I'm kind of curious, though, because when Diaz left, and this feels a lot like the Diaz situation on the surface, we took a coach, he's here for a year, getting back on his feet, I guess, whatever. But what we did after Diaz left is we we took one of the other assistants that was working under D- Diaz and we promoted him to defensive coordinator. And right. we haven't done that yet, at least with Diaco. It had someone that he brought in or another coach that we had kind of learning and waiting in the wings for when Diaco left. We haven't gone that route this time. At least it doesn't look like we will. So I'm kind of curious sure. to see how this turns out. If we do stay with someone inside the program, the fact that we haven't done that yet probably means skip is is reaching out and maybe trying to punch above his weight a little bit yeah but that's why that's one of the great things about him is he's been able to bring in some fairly decent coaches i mean he's kind of yeah. got a knack for that he he's been around some really good programs he came up under bowden down there at fsu he was at usc south carolina for a little while he spent some time at notre dame so i mean this guy has been around for a long time and he is able to like you said nab some pretty good coordinators i just i don't know necessarily if there is anyone awaiting in the wings like you said 
I know, Josh, you had the your finger more on the college football pulse outside of tech more than at least I do. Is there anyone that comes to mind? No, I mean, I, know, I saw La Tech report joking about Charlie Strong a bunch. I mean, as far <laughs> as I know, he's still unemployed. Uh, but no, I haven't really heard much rumbling. I mean, we still got a couple. We got one bowl playing out tonight as we're recording, and then the national championship game. It'll pick up strongly after that, I suspect. I, I suspect that, no pun intended, strongly. Uh, someone needs to make a post about defense. Josh, there's a job for you. Make a post about potential defensive coordinator. Oh, okay. Yeah, let me just you know add that to the list. Yeah, I've got one more for you because after losing on wild card weekend, Bill Belichick may be out of job soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the NFL, this week's Kusa Tweet of the Week isn't really so much Conference USA related as it is Boston Scott related. Ew. Boston Scott. And the touchdown dance he had after scoring on the giants it's excellent i did not realize boston scott was that great at dancer really i should have known like this has been known yeah he's quite well, gifted man has talent. in the same way that the entire football world is now learning about him i'm still finding new ways to appreciate boston scott yeah he's a he's a good player i miss you boston yeah not the city dance on you little man you well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Scott could kill me. like are you saying you want him to or <laughs> I don't know. Flip a coin. Okay. It came up heads. What does that mean? See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about wraps it up for Josh's life in our episode of the Go Take Plays and Die podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at G O T E C H P L S D N T D I E. Or check out our blog for more posts, like there'll be another one up this week about free throws. That's at gtpdd.dog. And until next time, I'm Nathan. I'm Matt. I'm Charlie Strong. (laughs) And go tech. Please. Please don't die. Don't die. Nathan. I'm Josh. I'm Matt. Damn it, Josh. <laughs> yes. Got it. After weeks and weeks of us hesitating to go, okay, we Nathan's already got his part. He can cut this part out. I'm going, okay? Uh, okay. Okay, hold on. All right, hold on. I'm Matt. I'm Josh.